0: My name is Howard Gewurz and uh, I've written a piece in the uh, wonderful book called L.A. in the 70s, Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, and my piece is <clears throat> called Ritim varam Prognium, which is uh, a Sanskrit phrase, which I won't define now. I, sometimes I think it actually means you can skip this piece. It's going to be boring, but um, uh, it's actually uh, uh, something that um, – David was interested in when I first came out to LA. um, I kind of started a television station uh, uh, with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was the founder of Transcendental Meditation. And um, uh, this was after, you know, just graduating from New York University and trying to get a job out here and just, just having no luck at all. And I was about to just go home and uh you know go go back to new york and maybe become an optometrist and uh then uh somebody told me about this tv station and and um that's the story i wrote and ken uh
1: yes i am ken levine and uh my piece is actually one that you can pronounce called me i've got a <laughs> pilot uh I've been a a television writer for uh, close to 40 years and uh, have a partner, uh, David Isaacs. And the two of us uh, have been head writers of MASH and produced Cheers and spent a lot of time on Frasier and Wings and The Simpsons. And uh, my piece is about a bizarre pilot that David and I did back in L.A. in the 70s. Uh, You know, pilots are, you know, the commodity that everybody who is in the industry can say that they have. Even though you may not be in the industry, uh, if you are at a party and people ask what you're doing, you say, well, I've got a pilot. And the beauty of that is unless a pilot is greenlit, no one really knows if it's true. So uh, anyone can say, "Oh yeah, I got a, a pilot. I'm waiting for uh Meryl Streep to uh, see whether she wants to do my talking cat pilot. Uh, no one, you know, could check it out. It's not like they can go to IMDB. Uh, so everybody in LA has pilots, uh, but we, We're lucky enough to actually have pilots and even get a few pilots on the air. But uh, my piece is about one in particular that was uh, strikingly L.A. and bizarre. Not as bizarre, I don't think, as a TM television station. How does a (laughs) Jewish boy from New York wind up running a TM television station in Los Angeles, actually, not even Los Angeles—it's San Bernardino.
0: Well, uh that's true. It. Uh, well, I'll tell you how because I—I uh, I was, you know, and and actually still do practice meditation. Don't worry, I'm not—I'm not in a cult, uh, but um, I knew about I knew about uh, uh, TM and. So anyway, I was out here, and, and it, it was just awful. I was living in a terrible apartment in Hollywood, and, and the walls were paper thin, and my neighbors were all, you know, like roadies who knew drug addicts that they were proud to know. And it was just, you know, and I I was just walking into And they had pilots, uh, too, didn't they? And, uh, half of them did, and they all went. But, <laughs> Sister. um yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, and we even had like like a mustached landlord who would knock on doors and demand the rent. So I was also in a silent movie at the time. Um, So (laughs) it was getting very discouraging because uh, I was just knocking on the doors of all these different production companies and on Sunset Boulevard and, you know, and, and around there and when I would walk in, there would just be this gorgeous girl behind, you know, like, uh, you know, just a model, uh, front, what is it? Front office appearance (laughs) or something. And I'd be really Mm -hmm. intimidated and, uh, uh, you know, say uh, something like, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking for work. And, uh, and naturally they were very impressed. So um, I gave them my resume and after like, a t- a two weeks of this, I just sort of opened the door and would throw my resume <laughs> in <laughs> at them, you know, like an airplane and say, I, I know you don't want me, and, I, and, I, and by the way, I resent you even being there, so screw you. And, um, uh, but anyway, so this was getting discouraging. This was after a few months, and um, my friend, who I call Barry in the piece, uh, said, well, you know, Maharishi is trying to start a TV station in Los Angeles, um, you know, uh, and I said, a Transcendental Meditation TV station? How does that work? Um, and he had no idea, but he gave me the name of, he gave me a number to call. So now I had just graduated from New York University in film and TV. So this was, what, 1974. And so I, I was told to come to this meeting uh, of, the, uh, of the people who were going to a uh, staffed this TV station and I asked what the meeting was about. And, and basically the meeting was about me because as a recent graduate of New York university film and TV, I had way more experience and knowledge than anybody else in the room. So uh, it was like, everything I said was, was words of wisdom. Um, And uh, as in the land of the blind, the
1: one eyed man is King.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is, that's perfect. I wish I had known that when I wrote the piece, because that is absolutely the truth. So um, as a one eyed man, uh, I, I, you know, I I, I was hired at the kingly sum of $500 a month, which um, even back in 1974 wasn't quite enough to live. So my father was still (laughs) sending me checks. Uh, so I was the only TV executive in town who still, you know, was on an allowance. Um, but anyway, so uh, that, that's how I came to, uh, to be the supervising producer of KFCI, which, by the way, um, I- I'll just tell you, the original call letters for KFCI stood for K, Science of Creative Intelligence which is, you know, at at the time what Maharishi was was kind of calling the programs that that were TM. Right. Um, And the station did go on the air um, and then was promptly sold to a consortium of international um, uh, broadcasters, um, and they renamed it K-Southern California International, and you can st- it's on the air now. In fact, I looked at DirecTV and saw KSCI 18, but there were like nine different KSCIs. So it actually turned into a, a business. So were you on the air but- for like 24
1: hours? I mean, you know, you could do the Maharishi uh, lectures for a few hours, but then like what, 19 hours of Golden Girl reruns? What would you guys
0: uh, do to program <laughs> that station? Well that was the big question wasn't it Ken <laughs> what the yeah. hell were we going to do what are you going to so, do for um, 24
1: hours you can't hand out flowers well it, for 24 hours
0: well it, it 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 was never going to be 24 hours and and we were just trying to you know basically get to the first hour like you know after the first hour everything will take care of itself so we we didn't actually hire but a number of people you know some of whom were hired at a at a small sum and Um, and we started to develop transcendental based, transcendental meditation based programming, um, which, which sounds bizarre. And in fact, it was bizarre. Um, we had good news. Uh, we had uh, a children's program called CC the clown, CC standing for, um, cosmic consciousness. That's the phrase, um, did and, you ever uh, get to so go on that, the air yourself? I left did you, did before you? I left before the station actually went on the air. But um oh. I I was still because I could see I you as, with, as as yeah. Cosmic
1: Clown. I could see you definitely doing <laughs> that guys.
0: <laughs> well, the the whole purpose of that program was, you know, basically to indoctrinate little children into transcendental meditation. So, um right. So the, we had a we had a you know a clown, which by the way has now become the terror symbol that we always knew it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, we we've been frightened and terrified of clowns, but now it's a thing. Now it's a genuine thing in the world. You know, if you see a clown, run. So
1: I just picture um, this but, show, yeah. this kids show with this you know T M clown. And then they cut away to show cartoons, and it's like Tom and Jerry where they're killing each other.
0: <laughs> um, no, it, it, you know, we, we were actually being monitored by some very serious people in Switzerland who were making certain that our programming was, was proper for, um, for the, the TV station. But like I say, my, my whole thing was kind of getting it uh, up and running. And by the way, while I did get it up and running, I still do TM, but I'm not a part of the movement. And I I just do TM because I find, like a lot of people do these days, that meditation is helpful. Um, But the TM movement, which is still going, and I have nothing against them, um, is a much more involved commitment. And I am no longer involved in that commitment um, and haven't been for, I guess, since then. But uh, I became quite involved in it then. Um, and so um, uh, everything like Transcendental Meditation was about and Maharishi and, um, and, and all of those uh, beliefs and um, practices, I, I was thoroughly there. I was completely into it. And, and in the story, uh, at the end, I, I kind of say how I sort of got out of it, at least got out of the, um, the serious commitment part. But Ken, you know, on your piece which I read, um, you, you talk. Uh, there was suddenly a name jumped out at me that I hadn't thought about in a million years. Alan Carr.
1: Yes, Alan Carr was quite the personality <laughs> in the '70s. He uh, he was very flamboyant. Um, he was very. What do you
0: mean by that? What do you What do you mean by flamboyant? <laughs>
1: I mean, I mean, he was he was gay uh, and had uh, a King Tut disco in his mansion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he was a he was originally a a manager who wound up getting into producing films, and he made a lot of money on a like cannibal exploitation film called Survive. And parlayed that <laughs> into producing the movie version of Grease, which of course was a huge hit. And
0: he that became, actually worked.
1: Yeah, it actually did work. <laughs> uh, and so he became quite the personality. And he would have these A-list parties. He lived in a mansion in uh, in Benedict Canyon. It used to be owned by Ingrid Bergman, and his contribution was to put a giant Oscar statue in the front lawn. <laughs> I mean, you could see it from outer space. You know, this, this was Hollywood's answer to a garden
0: gnome. You Ken, know? it, it, it was a tasteful giant Oscar, though, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Oh, I,
1: yes, I, I should mention that. <laughs> Uh, it was not ostentatious <laughs> in any way <laughs> yeah there was there was no glitter on it yeah um, and and because he would throw these lavish parties, and again, this was this the seventies um he was known by all the a list celebrities and producers and movie producers and uh you know and. You know, we were never invited to those parties. Those parties were either A-listers or neighborhood pool boys. But uh, we got a call one day. David and I were writing MASH at the time. And we got a call from our agent saying, are you guys interested in doing a pilot? And we were certainly busy enough writing MASH. But, you know, a pilot. You know, you got to have a pilot. Right. So we said, okay, and the deal was that Alan Carr, who was the flavor of the month back then, and we're talking like 1977, um, had a deal with CBS, had a guaranteed pilot. So we figured, okay, well, you have a hot producer who could probably get it made and you don't have to come up with your own idea. You don't have to go in and pitch it. We said, "Okay, we're interested." So we had a meeting up in his Hillhaven Lodge. Uh, You know, just you know, go to the Oscar and make a left. And um, (laughs) and the pilot sounded actually very promising. There was a uh, a late night television show Friday nights on NBC called Midnight Special, which was a Wolfman rock Jack. Music type of show. Exactly. Wolfman Jack. Oh, baby. He was the host. <laughs> you had Wolfman Jack, and they had all of the hot acts of the day, like Alice Cooper and Helen Reddy. Um, and so his <laughs> well, idea. I'm sorry to laugh was, at Helen Reddy. That's, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing at Alice Cooper. That's okay. <laughs> um, so his idea was to do like a behind-the-scenes type of show um, with a a girl as the lead who has to book all of these insane rock acts. I mean, it was kind of like, uh, you know, the Mary Tyler Moore show meets Soul Train for White Kids kind of thing. And um, (laughs) so... You know, we we jumped aboard and came up with an outline and had to have another meeting at his house so we could only meet the end of the day after spending the the entire day writing MASH. So we had like a six o'clock meeting at the Hill Haven Lodge and we arrive on time and we are told that Mr. Carr uh, is en route but he's uh, coming from the set. At the time, they were making Grease too. So they uh, <laughs> escorted us out to the back patio, which was very lovely, and there was a bottle of wine for us and this giant ice mountain of seafood that Chasen's used to feature <laughs> with chunks of lobster and
0: crab.
1: But, uh, was that
0: just for you guys? Was that the whole it thing? It was just, just for us you guys. <laughs>
1: yeah. This, this was just for us to nibble on while we waited for uh for Alan Carr. So uh, now an hour goes by and we've had we've polished off the bottle of wine and we've pretty much polished <laughs> off the ice mountain of seafood. And we're both getting a little punchy <laughs> okay. and it's now like seven thirty yeah. at night. And so yeah. we're kind of laughing and goofing around. And I remember there was like this ceramic flamingo and we thought, let's steal the flamingo. Wouldn't that be funny if Alan Carr walked out and, uh, there's my briefcase <laughs> with these two flamingo legs sticking out. Uh, so we were like in this kind of goofy mood anyway. And, uh, and we, we hear, hello, hello, I'm on my way, and it's it's Alan Carr. So we, of course, have to try to compose ourselves. And, Howard, <laughs> you've been in many of these note sessions. It's basically yeah. uh, the producer or the studio or network and the writers, and you go over the outline and you discuss certain scenes or certain moments or characters, that type of thing, Um Alan Carr walks out, and you know, picture, picture like Ellen in a fat suit. That that's that's Alan Carr, and he comes out wearing nothing but a flowing white caftan,
0: <laughs>
1: and thick cold cream all over his face. That I,
0: re- I remember how he arrived the, I remember the for caftan. our no
1: session. Sorry. I
0: remember the calf can because I, I remember that we have a little bit of a lag thing. But I, I remember the, the calf can because uh, he would often show up in pictures in like the Hollywood Reporter or or right. one, uh, you know, and, and he would be wearing this flowing calf can. So he was he, uh, he was memorable in, in that way, you know.
1: Um, right. It and like it's a such a good look.
0: Very sure that. Yeah, for a it's a good Such look, for a 300 pound man. I agree.
1: <laughs> hey, your Maharishi wore the same thing, okay?
0: Um, Basically. Yes, it was tra- traditional for him, but I guess uh, I'm gonna I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> <What> <laughs> <going to> say. <laughs> so, so
1: now we have to compose ourselves because again, you know, you can't say Jesus Christ. You've got a pound of cold yeah. cream on your face. So we, we we have this meeting, and we're like, we can't look at each other or him. We're just staring down at our uh, our outlines and making notes, you know, and, and anything he wanted, fine. It's like we were not going to argue about anything, you know. I think they should be staying at the Hyatt and not the Mark. Fine, whatever, sure, great. We just wanted to get out of there as fast as we could. And um, we were escorted out, and we left, and the minute we heard the door close behind us, uh, we rolled around on the grass uh, in front of the Oscar for like 45 minutes laughing. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you figure, this is so Hollywood. Where else in the world could a meeting like that occur? And ultimately, the show didn't go because CBS wanted to have a meeting, but they wanted to have it at CBS, and Alan Carr wanted CBS to come to them. And when CBS is saying, you know, Norman Lear comes to us, and Grant Tinker comes to us, um, you can come to you made Grease too, for Christ's sake, you can come to <laughs> us.
0: So, right. uh, so
1: that's. That's what ultimately happened uh, to, to that pilot. And Alan Carr also is, I'd say famous, but more like infamous uh, in that he produced maybe the all-time worst Oscar cast in history. This was, I believe, 1989. I, this is the one where uh, there were lavish, horrible production numbers. I mean, it was really springtime for Hitler. And there was a production number with Rob Lowe and Snow White. Go on YouTube and, and look it up. It's, it's jaw-droppingly <clears throat> horrifying. So, now, one, so that was – uh, one,
0: one, yes. one of the things that um, this kind of reminds me of is um, back then, and this is also uh, part of the 70s. Uh, we uh, – my former partner, Ian Fraser, and I uh, also had some run-ins with some um, pretty impressive people, like uh, we met David Merrick. David Merrick, the producer of Hello Dolly on Broadway, mm-hmm. wanted us wanted us to do a pilot, and uh, the pilot was um, based on Semi-Tough, the movie. And uh, and I think, Ken, you know what kind of a sports fan I am. Um, yes, um, right. Yes.
1: Yes. That's, that's all about the Dallas Cowboys. Yes,
0: that's exactly right. And so, um, uh, you know, and I even, uh, but, but it was, it was remarkable because there was David Merrick and this was one of the cheesiest projects I'm sure he had ever been in. So, um, we actually did do it. We actually did, uh, 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 four episodes of it. Um, and another uh, producer uh, we met around the time was Martin Ransohoff, huge producer uh, of the '60s and '70s. He produced HUD and a number of things. And what we were working uh, with him on was Coed Fever, which was <laughs> one of the three Animal House knockoffs of the time. Every network had an Animal House knockoff, and. Our Animal House knockoff, Coed Fever, was um, special because, one, uh, the showrunner was the first absolute Coke freak I had ever met. So I didn't even know what was going on. I just knew that this man had very bizarre behavior, and he was a little bit frightening and spoke loud. And I didn't know till afterwards that he was on Coke practically all day. Um, And the other uh, thing that – that singled us out uh, uh, of the three animal house ones is we aired once after Rocky and we got something like a 40 share, something insane, but that was the last time we ever aired because the show was that bad. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, again, yeah. it says something
1: about uh, us as comedy writers in the seventies when we're talking about all of these, truly horrible projects, but we took them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we took them. We, we, we said, okay. We said, how much is it? And we talked ourselves into it. Like, yeah, we're going to do, uh, uh, we're going to do the Mary Tyler Moore show for the seventies. Yeah. We're going to do animal house of the seventies. We talked ourselves in, into all of these, these crazy things. Did your co-ed fever star anybody who Went on to fame because I know Michelle Pfeiffer was in one of those three shows, and probably um, everyone from the Baby Boomer Brat Pack was in one of those three knockoffs of Animal House.
0: Well, um, our I, I guess our most celebrated uh, uh, person was Heather Thomas, who went on to do The Fall Guy. Um, Mm-hmm. A show that, uh, amazingly enough, was quite popular. Uh, and um, then I actually ran into her a few years ago. She ended up amazing. Can you believe that a, a tall, beautiful, willowy blonde married a billionaire guy? So um, you know, as, what are the odds? Yeah, as, as yeah. luck would have it, you know he. He just fell in love. He was blind. He didn't even know what she looked like. No, that's not true.
1: You couldn't uh, write that. But, uh, no one would believe it.
0: <laughs> no one would believe it. No, no. Heather <laughs> was really, you know, she was she was very very pretty. Um, and uh, who else did we have in it? Um, I, I, another guy. I, I'm tr- his name was Keith something. No, his name was David Keith. That's what it was. There were two guys. There oh, was okay. Keith David. Right Keith David is this wonderful black actor who does uh who who's got this resonant voice who does a lot of Ken Burns narration and our David Keith um actually went on to do some other TV shows and even uh he was even in some movies um,
1: yeah so he had a career for a while yeah
0: he did he did uh the other actors um didn't uh, really go anywhere i'm afraid so uh not that no, I'm not really afraid because they they didn't deserve to. But you know, it's sad. They're people. <laughs> they just you know a good it actor. was
1: it was a fun time in a sense in television because there were only three networks, and if you got right. a show on the air, like you mentioned, uh, you, you get a forty share, and and networks back then. You could get a 40 share, and if the show was terrible, they would still take it off the air, as opposed to today, where if you got a 40 share and it was a snuff film, they'd do a series of it.
0: <laughs> Of course. Well, now, I mean, things are so different now in terms of, of ratings. Uh, there's There's a new show on with Michelle Dockery, who played Lady Mary in Downton Abbey. And the mm-hmm. show... Premiered to a .3 rating. Now, that's when when we were doing uh, TV. Um, you know, uh, well, we did TV. Some of us are still doing TV in some way. But in in the 80s and 90s, you were in a little bit of trouble if your rating was only like a, an 11 or a 12. It's like ooh 13. That's kind of bad. We slipped from last week. Yeah. We're talking about a point a point three <laughs> Point three. That is such a small fraction of thirteen. So thank the you first staff
1: job there. that my partner and I ever had was on the Tony Randall show on uh, ABC, oh, a, and it was a, an MTM a big show. show, which is the company. Thank you. That made uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show and the Bob Newhart show, and we were on ABC, and we were getting a thirty share consistently week after week. And uh, when it came time for renewal, we were on the bubble. ABC only wanted to give us 13. They didn't want to give us a full 22 for the next season because we were on the bubble with a 30 share. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's you amazing. know, th- it, an episode of the Tony Randall show in 1977 had more viewers than the American Idol finale when American Idol was quite the, you know, the, the zeitgeist show of the year. Yeah, and we were on the bubble. So it was a very different time.
0: Well, um, KSCI, Channel 18, getting back to that, um uh, I think our viewership was probably uh, probably equivalent to what Michelle Dockery show got, you know, which is um, pop, you know a, a couple of 100,000 viewers who are just they don't have anything else to do with their lives. You know, they're just mm-hmm. it's like they're flipping around a dial and they go, okay, with I'll I'll try that, but getting it on the air was um kind of an adventure because there there was no money involved. Uh it, it was you know, it was a non-profit organization, so we all had to do it for no money, as making my $500 a week. Literally, I was the highest paid person there. Um, and I, it, what you were saying before, Ken, is that um, the, we couldn't get a license out of Los Angeles because that would be too costly. So we got a license out of San Bernardino, and this was the an engineer figured out that he could put uh, a broadcast tower in San Bernardino, but beam it to LA. So we were cheating. We were this, you know, very moral TM organization who figured out how to, how to bamboozle <laughs> the FCC mm-hmm. into, into be, beaming a, a, a strong, strong signal to Los Angeles. And we didn't care, but who knew what San Bernardino was? But we did have to fly there. <laughs> and and the, there is a, 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 a story which, and you know, it's a true story, where... Um, we have to fly there. They don't want to spend, you know, it's also a kind of a short hop. So the engineer is also a pilot. Uh, so he says he's got his own plane. Great. You know, so we go up in this private plane and we're flying up in the private plane. And then he goes, how much do you think this plane cost?" <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I didn't really want to think about it. Um, cost me 3000 bucks. Okay. So we're flying in a three thousand oh, plane. He said, yeah. And, and I, it was a wreck. I mean, it was a wreck, and I banged it together myself. You know, I just got a manual. you <laughs> just telling us everything you don't want to hear. Everything you don't. want to Right. Hear. And, right. And then, and but you know, I'm still, I, I'm, I'm naive. i I still, I, I still believe in life. You know, at this. So, uh, and you know, he, he was such a happy guy. He was a really, you know, like fun character. Um. So at one point, he just says. Here's the stick, and here's the yoke, and keep your hands on the yoke. And then he turns around and starts talking to the guys in the rear two seats. And I figured, okay, you know, this is probably all right. He's not gonna, he's not gonna endanger his own life or mine. You know, I, I'm probably on autopilot. Uh, and then it sort of dawns on me that it certainly looks like we're flying into a mountain. But then I think, no, nah, couldn't be because. You know, it's got to be some kind of optical illusion. I'm, I'm not an experienced liar. You know, I bet that mountain is, is, uh, is, is you know, is far, far away. So then he finishes telling his joke to the guys in the back, and then he turns around, and he turns white, and he yells, Fuck! <laughs> and he grabs the yoke, and he, like, like in some kind of movie, pulls back on it as hard as he can. We clear the mountain by about 30 feet. So had he not finished the joke in time, JFK I would have finished early. You know, with a tragic, uh, stupid, stupid private plane accident.
1: <laughs> and, and you're talking about a um, a distance of 30 miles from downtown uh, Los Angeles to San Bernardino. It might even be 25.
0: You no, know, well, it's about a 90-minute fly isn't. normally. No, no, you you know, but it it was, you know, that was the adventure, you know, and uh, here's another unbelievable part. I don't have it in the story, but so I'm I'm in this maniac who nearly kills us by crashing into a mountain. Right. I get up in the Uh scene again a couple of months later, you know, why not? Why not fly with him again? The first (laughs) flight (laughs) was so uneventful and fun. So, you know, uh, the weather's a little nasty. Uh, and we're going to fly to Las Vegas for the National Association of Broadcasters Convention. So we get up there, and here's the thing. You know pilots are trained to be soothing. It's like, well, we're up here at 40,000 feet, and there's an engine that seems to have gone out. I wouldn't worry about it. We're just going to make a little land. You know, it's like you're in horrible trouble, but they're very calm. So here's our pilots. We're, we're in the air, we're, we're flying, you know, and I tell you, the, the weather's a little bit nasty, a little bit rainy. And our pilot goes, Holy crap, there's ice on the wing. And, you know, this is like, this is like a, you know, like a, it, it, a this is like a movie from the 30s, you know, where, where flying is like new and dangerous. Yeah. Like wild, yeah. Wildly, this is Wiley posed. <laughs> and and Will Rogers are, are, are never to never The magnificent back. men in their flying
1: machine. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what we were in the stupid Bonanza B that rattled. <laughs> Holy crap, there's ice on the wing. Now, I didn't know that was a bad thing. Apparently, it's a very bad thing. It throws everything off. So I actually started meditating, and then uh, somehow we land the plane, and I can proudly say at that point I never went up with him again. That was the end of that.
1: I, yeah, I was going to say, my
0: um, you know, get a, a, a <laughs> Not, ticket to
1: Greyhound Bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: wow. That was a real fool me Fool me once, fool me twice. You can't <laughs> fool me a third time. <laughs> well,
1: and that guy went on to be our last astronaut. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, to, I don't story. know what
0: that guy went on to be. Um so uh okay, so that so you guys went back to mash at that point uh um, so we went
1: back to mash and yeah. um and you guys uh went on to do taxi and um and and a lot of great things uh you know it's kind of fun you look back at at that era and how wild it was um and you know it's 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 hard to compare the seventies to today. But didn't it seem yeah. like we had a lot more fun in our career? <laughs> Wasn't it a lot more fun being a, a television writer uh or a television station, you know, uh production owner. Yeah. Uh than than it is today. It was a, it was a yeah, glorious I th- time.
0: I I think so. You, you know, um uh, There's a really good writer, two great writers, Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. And um, we actually, uh, another partner and I, we started on one of uh, Lowell Gantz's shows. But anyway, the reason I'm mentioning that is um, we remember we had been on Co-Ed Fever, which which was taken off the air after one episode. So our careers were not flying. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, then somebody uh, somehow. Not our agents, by the way, but but through some machinations, our spec taxi script uh, got to um, uh, Dave Davis, and he really liked it. And um, we found ourselves uh, a story. At, you know, we were hired as story editors on Taxi, which at the time was the Emmy-winning comedy of that year. So uh, mm-hmm. we're in the commissary. We're at the commissary at, at, at uh, Paramount. And we run into Bob he goes, you know, how are you guys doing? And, we, you know, almost sympathetically, like, gee, co fever, that was tough. And um, we said, well, you know, we, we just got staff jobs on taxi. And he looks at us and he says, you guys went from co fever to taxi? You must have the bends. <laughs> so... <laughs> and <laughs> Babalu, was a he was a clever guy, and that that's a good joke, you know. So uh, but uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, well anyway you know, it was it was say, fun I, reminiscing. Yeah.
1: And um you know it's it's great being a, a part of this book. Um
0: Yeah. There's there's
1: really lots and lots of really fun, interesting different articles. Um, and, uh, it's a book I recommend, not just because I'm in it. <laughs> uh,
0: no, I feel the same way. I think, I think David put together a great book, a lot of wonderful stories in there. Uh, and it just really, really, uh, especially if you're younger, you know, and, and you're fascinated by that time, but you don't really have a sense of it. Um, uh, this this book really gives you a, a, a sense of what it was like to be there at that time, and some of it, you know, some of it, not all of it, is light and, and frothy. Some of it gets pretty dark, you mm-hmm. know, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but but that's really interesting too. So um, yeah, like you know, um, like Ken, I'm I'm very proud to be part of it, and I'm I'm really glad uh, David asked me, uh, you know, about I hear you did this Maharishi station. What's that about? Um, so it was really a lot of fun to write that article. And, right. it, was, and it was fun to read yours. So. so likewise,
1: likewise. I mean, I've known you for all these years. I didn't know that, that side of you. I suspected you know, TM, but I never, <laughs> I never really actually knew.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, Anyway, I mean, thanks, thanks for, for listening. For yeah, well, thank you. It's fun talking to you. I'll see you Tuesday.
1: Great. Thanks.